All right, so we're going to continue this morning in our uh, sermon series in the book of Psalm 96. We've been looking at this for a while, and I kind of want to recap a little bit. We're going to read it, but I want to recap before we read it to remind us where we are. We're at the end of the psalm now. We've made it to the end, and I know for some of you who've been reading it with us, you're like, that that's a pretty short psalm to get to the end. That's fair. That's fair. But I want to remind you that this psalm uh, starts out with this kind of command to praise God, that we, we are to uh, sing our praises to God. And so we talked about what it means to sing our doctrine or sing our theology or sing what we believe, right? We, we should proclaim it um, in our daily lives. We talked about how that works and what that looks like. And then uh, the second week we talked about uh, a scribe, and that's a strange word, I think, for us these days, a scribe, but it means to, to recognize God for who God is and to let him receive the honor that is due him, right? So that's part of our job in worshiping God is not just to sing, but to uh, ascribe to God uh, his holiness and his righteousness and his glory. And part of what we tried to do this morning through worship, if you didn't hear the words, I hope you're kind of paying attention to the words as we try to sing back to him how beautiful and wonderful and glorious he is, which is why I love that, that new song we did, uh, 100 Billion Galaxies or something. That was beautiful, right? That one got me. Praise God. Because uh, he's worthy of that kind of praise. And then last week we talked about worshiping God, but specifically we talked about what it means to put on Christ, to adorn ourselves in Christ. And I said to you last week that that is, uh, that was really the impetus for the series. I wanted to get to that part of the Psalm 96 because I think often, and this is a, a a bit of a thing here, but I think often that we uh, don't recognize that in worship, God, from his perspective, sees his son. Now, that might be a bit controversial for some of you to believe that. You go, well, no, that's what we talked about, worship God in holiness and how you can do that. But the, the best understanding I can get from Scripture is that when God looks upon us, his creation, and he delights in his creation, by the way, but he sees the perfection of his son as well. He sees Christ in us or over us, right? And so this is, this is what it means uh, to be born again. This is what it means to have the Spirit dwelling in us and then to sing praises to God. I would say this, and this is the interesting thing about maybe what we talked about last week. We can muster the most righteous act, the most clean life, the most perfect living, the most excellent way that we can form in this life, and it would still fall short of God's glory, so because of that, then we, Christ comes to earth to live perfectly, die on the cross, forgive all of our sins, make unity with God the Father possible again, and then we can please him. And I say that to say that we can't please him apart from Christ. This is why um, we are to worship God in his holiness. That's a translation of the Bible. Not all translations read that way, but I appreciate the recognition that we have no holiness of ourselves. We don't. Again, not everyone agrees with that. Some people think, no, no, I, I can please God. And yet, um, the Bible seems to say that God is perfect, is other, is not like us, and therefore he sent his son um, to dwell with us, indeed to die for us, that we might be free. Now get this. And then raised him to life to prove that he is God and called him to heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father right now, listen to me, praying for you and for me. 
Jesus, we talk about the work on the cross that Jesus did to forgive our sins, and yet his work is not yet done because right now, the scriptures say, he intercedes at the right hand of the Father on, the beha- on behalf of those who will know him, who believe in him. That's remarkable. So we have this gospel being communicated here through the Psalm 96, and we're going to read it now, and then we're going to wrap up with this, this last um, week. Uh, it's, it, it, it can sound like a, uh, an addendum, but it's not. It's the, it's the fulfillment of everything that's come before it. So hear the word with me this morning. Oh, by the way, if you, if you brought a Bible, you'll know where this is at. It's in Psalms 96. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one off the end of the chair row, and it'll be, oops, on uh, page 415, I believe, uh, or around there, if that's not right. But I'm going to read all the whole psalm together. This is what the word says. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord and the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say to the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And then the verses for today. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let all the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. And then they will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the chance we've had and we have to gather today, the first day of the week, in your name to worship you because you are worthy Father, we know that you are good. We know that you made everything. You indeed um, knit us together and breathed life into our lungs. And indeed, as the song, as we sang to you, you breathe life into us even now. We recognize you, Father, for your grandeur and your glory, your otherness, your holiness, your worthiness. And Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ who would condescend to earth to, to, as the song we sang said, heaven would come down that we would get to hear and know and see and believe. And then, Father, we thank you this morning for the promise that Jesus made to his people that the Holy Spirit would be sent by him from you to teach us everything we must know to believe. Father, we praise you for the Holy Spirit that you caused to dwell among us. We thank you so much that the Spirit was at work before we believed, drawing us near in your great kindness to us in these simple ways. And then we are invited into your presence, into your kingdom, into sonship, into adoption, into love. What a great, great gift you've given to your people. As we come into your word this morning, we stand amongst your creation. I pray that you would give us a a bigger view for what you're doing, a bigger idea of what worship is, a bigger opportunity to respond to you. And I pray, Father, that they would not, I pray against the idea it would be a human manifestation or something we're ginning up, but Father, it would be your Holy Spirit's work, it would be your gospel goodness among us that would compel us to faith in you. 
Oh, Lord, would you be our teacher today? Your people stand ready to hear. Would you compel us to believe? Compel us to a life sold out to you. We love you so much, and we thank you for the opportunity we have now to come. We ask you for this, Father, because there's nowhere else we can get it. Do this, we would ask, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen. So you kind of feel the crescendo of the text, worshiping God in his holiness, but then the psalmist writes to us this. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. He is firmly established, cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. I'm going to continue for a moment. We're going to almost cover this entire text repeatedly today because it's all tied together. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them and let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. This is what the psalmist concludes the idea of what our, our worshiping God in holiness looks like. You see, it would be easy to believe that we are the ones that worship God, <laughs> that, that if, if it's up to us to worship God. But what you see here at the end of the psalm is that the worship that we are called to do is, is just part of his creation. You can see that God centers us in his creation for his glory, but to return praise to him, to join creation in praise. The, the, the word starts out by saying, uh, rejoice. Let the word, heavens rejoice. I'm going to accent some words. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound. Let the fields be jubilant. And, and those those are not, now I've been saying to you every week, those are um, uh, imperative commands, right? You, you ought to do these things. They're oughts. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to. But these are not ought to commands when we get to the end of the psalm. He, he doesn't say, now you ought to rejoice. If you can see it, you can actually read it. If you pay attention to the language, it's subtle. It says, let the heavens rejoice. Allow the heavens to rejoice. So what do we do? And it's, it's on your engagement sheet. I hope you got it on the, on the front side. It's in the title. We rejoice in worship. Like, that's part of what we're called to do is to rejoice. But it's not the kind of rejoice like you must rejoice. You, I demand it. But you must allow rejoicing. Isn't that interesting? It, it doesn't, it's not the same thing as sing, ascribe, worship, right? It's, it's what? And allow joy. Don't, like, muster joy, but allow it. There's this um, sense, I don't know if you get this sense sometimes, but there's this sense that we restrict our joy. Maybe you don't have that. I seem to have that at times. I just, I just have a hard time letting it happen. There's a bunch of reasons for this, but God says, let it happen. Let rejoicing happen. Let gladness happen. So what do we do in worship? In response to the goodness of, of God in Jesus Christ, in response to the gospel, in response to the psalmist's command to dance before the ark, what do we do? Well, we joy. We joy. What, what does that mean to have joy in our lives? There's that great radio station that came to town, Joy FM, and what an awesome gift it's been to the community, right? But what does it mean to have joy? Like, and I heard someone the other day kind of conflate um, joy and happiness a little bit. And I was like, well, that's not exactly right, you know? Like, joy isn't happiness, right? Joy is, is uh, like, I, I can't quite articulate the difference, but joy is, is more um, uh, of a response. Like, it's more of, a, of a, a letting go, I think. Happiness could be something we try to achieve, but, but joy comes regardless of circumstance. 
we joy. Here's some of the definitions, the way the Bible would describe joy, and, and it's written throughout Scripture. Um, enjoy is one way. Uh, be glad. We heard that this morning. Cheer up, <laughs> right? You heard that? Cheer up. Um, make merry, or literally it means to brighten, to allow things to brighten. I wonder if God knows us so well that he, he, he knows that we would have a tendency to not let light shine, how, what a strange thing. You would think, well, why wouldn't we let light shine? I don't know. We like darkness. We feel weird about it. But he's like, allow light. Literally, it means to, um, to brighten up, to turn the dimmer, right? To make it uh, glare a little bit more than normal life. And, and not, again, to do it of ourselves, but just to allow it to happen. I want to talk about that um, in a moment. But to allow it to happen. Here's... Here's some other words. So I, so I went, that was from the Bible, right? But then I went out and I started looking at what are some synonyms for joy? Because I thought, I was really curious about this. And here's a bunch. These are from like a dictionary. So this is people, these are the same words, right? Exult, uh, revel, celebrate, uh, delight. I love the word delight. L- look at delight. Like light is in the word, delight. Um, enjoy, glory, joy, triumph. Be glad, be overjoyed. That sounds like a condition almost, doesn't it? <laughs> He's overjoyed. <laughs> Gotta back it down a little bit. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Uh, feel happy is a synonym. Uh, jump for joy. And indeed, they have the same one in the Bible. You just make merry. Now, you might say, well, they're probably using the Bible to define it. Yeah, maybe so. That's true for a lot of words, actually. Here's a question for you this morning, and I mean it. Do you find joy in the Lord? That sounds like, like cheeky language sometimes, in the Lord. What is in the Lord? But I mean, in Yahweh. I don't, I don't mean like, because we have that thing where it's like Lord has become like this, this word that just become normative. But in the God who made everything, do you find joy in him? See, it's, it's often easy for us to find joy in the things around God or, or the things that God has made, but I want to know this morning, do you find joy in Yahweh, in the Creator, in God, God's self? Because that's what worship is rooted in. That's what worship is fundamentally aiming toward, is finding joy in the Lord, Yahweh. Indeed, um, this, it seems, is Joy seems like a default function in our life. The, the word um, let, allow, means that it's something that would normally happen, but, it, but it's also not yet complete. Letting joy come out in our lives, it's a future. I'm talking now about what it says in the scripture, that it's a future state. So if you can imagine, the command is sing, the command is ascribe, the command is worship, and then the last command is, and let joy come from it. Just allow that to happen in the future. In the Hebrew, best I understand it, the other things are imperative commands, right? But in the Hebrew, this is an undone act of allowing joy. It's as if God writes the equation, right? Singing plus ascribing plus worshiping, and he puts equals joy. (laughs) Like it's a normal result of those things in our life that we need not try to restrict joy. We need not try to hold back from joy. It needs to be allowed 
to happen at a future time. And I'm gonna, I want to talk about that in a minute too because we're talking about a sense of God of creation and, and a narrative of our understanding of how life happens in sequence, right? In sequentially. One thing before the other, after the next. So we have this opportunity then to have joy come out. Again, what does the word say? Let, let rejoice or let be glad. That's a little different than rejoicing, by the way. Being glad, not the same thing. Gladness is like, uh, well, we're going to talk about it, but it's like, uh, it's more of a, gladness is more of a cyclical process, like joy is just from joy, and we're going to talk about why that's rooted in heaven, but then this gladness is like a, a, a cyclical pattern of, of remembering and delighting again, and then we have the command to the ocean to what roar or thunder or clap, talk about that in a moment, allow to exult, and then the trees themselves, the word says, rings out. Can you imagine as you, you know, this is hunting season, right? Some of you know this, hunting season. I've seen camouflage around. I haven't smelled any deer urine or anything. I'm not a hunter. I know some dudes do. But when you get out there and you hear the rustling of the trees and you see that the, that the psalmist says that those are ringing the glory of God, that they're ringing out with all creation, I think it's no accident that some, and I won't just say men, because women too, love to be out in nature. Just love to be out there. The glory of it all. The right sizing of ourselves. I just recently heard someone talking about one of the, one of the failures, one of the limitations, maybe is the right word, of modern society is light pollution. Because it's really hard anymore to see stars. Uh, Olivia is really interested in, in uh, astronomy and things like of the stars. She just likes them. I'm not to call you out, but one of the things that we looked at when she was, get, you know, thinking about doing her trip was a place she could observe. You may have heard about the big controversy in Hawaii, right? About building the telescope on top of the mountain. Do you know why? Because it's one of the very few places left on Earth where you can still see stars. So hearing someone talk about this, they said, you know, one of the things we've lost, like, go out west. I mean, it's better out west, right? I'm not saying you should leave here, but I mean, travel out west and then look at the sky. Some of you are country boys and country girls, and you know this. You go out to the country, and you lay on the hood of your pickup truck, and you look at stars. I'm not laughing at you. I did the same thing, right? Wow. And then something happens in our life, and we get so busy and so tied up with our own small world and the lights over our heads and the street lights at night that we don't even look up anymore. The person who was saying that uh, recently, he, he said, um, it would change our perspective. There's the famous story about a U.S. president who had these big debates over World War II and what they were going to do and this, this, all this life and death and, you know, whatever. And the, the story goes, as best I recall it, after the meeting, he would walk out of the White House, stand on the porch, and look up. And they would say, what are you doing? Are you praying? What are you doing? He says, I'm trying to get perspective. Because it's so much bigger than we recognize. See, that's letting joy happen. That's letting some gladness come into our hearts when things can seem all too difficult. That's exulting with creation. That's allowing the trees to ring out. We ought not be surprised. We ought not be surprised that we find some solace or some hope sometimes when we're totally isolated in nature. So we joy is one thing uh, we can do. Um, but here's another way to look at it. We can uh, enjoy. We can enjoy. It's kind of the same thing, but it's, you know, enjoy. We can enjoy it. 
Um, I, I looked this up from the Webster because I wanted to know, like, the, actually, I Googled it, to be honest. Um, it was close to Webster, though. And this is the definition. I thought it was great. It says, to take delight or pleasure in. That's the first one. To take delight or pleasure. Again, delight is there, right? But here's the second one I thought was fantastic. To possess and benefit from. What? That if you don't possess something, you can't enjoy it. And in thinking about the reality of who God is, you cannot enjoy God unless you possess God, or more, more rightly, unless you're possessed by God, if you're owned, if you're captured, if you're in his grip. Then you can, and some of us, I think, have this, we know God and we believe God, but we're, we can't enjoy God. We just can't enjoy who he is. We can't fully possess um, I've told you this before, but in, in, and perhaps this is self-confession as much as anything, but it's like, you know, our, keys, our, ki- our parents have given us the keys to the sports car in the garage, and we don't want to drive it, because <laughs> we're afraid we might wreck it. No, you have to possess it to enjoy it. You have to grow into that, but you, you need to have the benefits of it. This is partly what our relationship with God ought to look like. We ought to be blessed because we know him. We ought to, you know, this is David, right? Dance because we know God. We ought to be joyful because we know God. Here's another question this morning. Do you enjoy God? Like, do you just enjoy him? Is it everything an obligation and something you have, you're just trying to make sure he's happy, please him? Or do you enjoy him? Are you like, yeah, this is so good? Do you enjoy him all the time? You see, we say God is good all the time, but, but do you enjoy God all the time? I've, man, this week was crazy for me. And I was digging around in this stuff, and I was like, yeah. And you, you want to get like, just excited, like, this is going to be great. And then life happens, and, and life is hard. And you're like, what? God, what are you doing? But can you find joy in those moments? Can you enjoy the relationship with God when he's rebuking you or correcting you or reforming you or, or disciplining you? I not how your week was. Mine was kind of like that. Do I find joy there in discipline? Here's a... Another one, we, have, we joy, we enjoy, but this is the one that's going to get to more of the, the human experience of all this, and it's we rejoy. I don't think rejoy is a word. I did it. No, I couldn't fit rejoice. That's the truth. But look how close it is to rejoice, rejoy. But it, it means to, it does actually get to something that is in the text, which is be glad. I told you being glad is a cyclical process. It's because life isn't always good. Life isn't always easy. But we joy again. This is the command that is captured in the second uh, verse, that we're, the second part of that verse. Let the heavens rejoice. That's more uh, just rejoicing. And then let the earth, the earth be glad. That's let us, things here, continue to praise. As a matter of fact, uniquely so, perhaps, this is interesting, the seasons demonstrate cycles of joy. The, the actual experience of seasons are like cycles of joy. And, and, and I know some of you dread winter, right? I mean, anybody with me on dread winter a little bit? <laughs> it's, some of us love winter. Fair enough. Yes. Praise God. And yet, even for people who love winter, when spring comes, it's hard not to get a little happier, isn't it? <laughs> when the white stuff begins to melt and the green stuff starts to pop through, when all the flowers come out and the birds start to sing, 
Look at, listen to the rejoicing that's happening in creation. It's to be glad by repetition. It's to be glad again to have joy. We find our faith rooted in the story of Israel. And this is one of the reasons that we ought to, and you know, I, I said to someone this week, I was talking, uh, and I was like, well, you know, Jesus is a Jew, which is a really funny thing to say out loud, because how can we get that wrong, that Jesus, we think Jesus isn't a Jew, but Jesus is a Jew, right? He's, he's from the house of David, he's of the Jewish faith, and he was bringing the Jewish kingdom, the, the kingdom of God, though Yahweh, not the, of a people, but of a, of a God's people, right? We won't get into that, but... It, the truth is that um, this has been a normative experience. And so I say that because if, if we don't understand something about the Jewish uh, faith, we don't understand uh, a psalmist writing, dance before the throne here, dance before the ark, right, as it comes. Uh, if you've been reading Bible 365, I don't know if you have or not, but it's been awesome. And we're just wrapping up Jeremiah today. Today's the last day in Jeremiah. We only have a few books left and it's over. We've done it, man. How cool is that? But I wanted to read with you uh, uh, some scripture from Jeremiah that was in this week's reading. I thought it was really powerful, and I think it gets this idea for people of rejoicing in God that we can be reminded of in our lives, because I know life is hard, and guess what? Life was hard for Israel as well, maybe way harder for Israel than for us. I'm going to read here in, in uh, Jeremiah 31, and uh, I was going to read 3 through 5. I'm going to read a little around it because I want to pick up some of the context. Um, 31.1 says this, At that time, declares Yahweh, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they will be my people. That sounds good, yeah. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the desert. That does not sound very good, does it? <laughs> I'll hear it again. The people who survive the sword, so you, someone's trying to kill you, will find favor in the desert when they're in the wilderness. I will come and give rest to Israel. This is a promise from God. The Lord appeared to us as in days past, saying, listen to this. I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is Jeremiah reminding Israel of what God has said. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Listen to verse 4. I will build you up again, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Again, you will take up your tambourines and go out to dance with the joyful. He's speaking to people who probably aren't very joyful right, at this moment, right? Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when the watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, come, let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. You will indeed even worship me again in Zion, he says. There's this promise of rejoicing in God or of rejoying God, why is this important? In spite of present circumstances, why is this important? Because God is never out of control. Things are never out of God's control. Like God is out of control and that God is in control, but things are never out of his control, right? This is written to Israel when God is rebuking them from worshiping false gods. This isn't just a God had a bad day. It's that we have failed him and we have sinned against him. And in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our despondency, and indeed in the midst of our discipline, God says, but there's coming a time when you will sing again. You will plant again. You will taste and know again. 
And this is God's good plan. One more place to pick this up. This comes, by the way, I don't know if you know um, prophecy. You know, we talk about prophecy a bit, but prophets would actually do things <laughs> to make the point. It was like a living sermon illustration. <laughs> God would say, go do this, and they'd go do a crazy thing, and then God would say, that's what that means, right? And one of the things that God commanded Jeremiah to do was to buy a field in Israel as Israel was falling to the enemy. He's been told, he's been telling everybody, Jerusalem's not going to stand, Israel's going to be pushed into captivity, all this stuff's going to happen, and Jeremiah, before it happens, buy some land here. It comes in verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 1. This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. That's the bad dude, right? The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard at the royal palace. So he's in prison. And then um, I think it's in uh, 6. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hamel, son of Shalom, is your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Antathoth. Yeah, that's, that's in there. Because as nearest relative, it's your, here's what you want to hear, your right and your duty to buy it. It's an opportunity and an obligation to commit to the land. You have the right to buy it, Jeremiah. Look at verse, you don't have to look at it, I'm just reading to you, verse 8. Then, just as the Lord said, my cousin Hamiel came in from the courtyard of the garden and said, buy my field at Antathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and to what? Possess it, buy it for yourself. And I won't read the rest of it, you can read it, but guess what he does? He buys the land. And he pays a fair price, knowing that God said this is going to pass into desolation, Right? And then he does something really interesting. He, he, he takes two scrolls of the purchase, a sealed and an unsealed scroll. And, the, and, you know, they used to seal it so that you could prove it was real, right? So you'd have two, and then he said, get a jar and put the papers in a jar, the sealed and unsealed scroll that I bought this land, and store it, because it's going to be a long time. But there will come a time when the jar will be opened and the second seal will be broken and the promise will be fulfilled and I will own the land. That's a commitment to rejoicing. That's a commitment to something that's beyond what we can see right now, beyond the current conflict. I love that story. I love that it reminds us that we serve a God who is working things out uh, over time for our good, even in hard seasons. I love that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, it's your right and duty. In other words, count on God. Count on God for these things. This is how... Uh, we can live our life in Christ in the same way, counting on God. All right, so w where does this rejoicing happen? What does this rejoicing happen in, in the first place is in heaven, right? Um, I just want you to think about that for a minute practically, that there's rejoicing in heaven, you know, that um, heaven is the place where God is, that he, he rules and reigns there. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is on earth as it already is in heaven. So it's better in heaven than on earth. This is part of our, our command how, to pr how we pray. The word says, let the heavens rejoice. Let the heavens be glad. Let the heavens celebrate. I, I wonder, whenever the psalm is written, is he commanding the heavens to rejoice or saying, let the heavens rejoice? Or is he saying to us, let the heavens rejoice? I wonder, church, what could we do to restrict rejoicing in heaven? I mean, is, the, is it to us to let the heavens rejoice? I don't feel like I woke up this morning and said, stop rejoicing, heavens. 
But, it, but the, the, the psalm is written to people and it says, let the heavens rejoice. You know what comes to mind is, um, the word says uh, something to the effect of the heavens, the angels in heaven rejoice every time one sinner comes to faith. The heavens rejoice when one of us comes to faith in Christ. I've heard it said this way. In that moment, when we're broken, when we're down and out, when we're desperate for God, and we say, God, I need you. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, and you're God, and I'm not. And our hearts break, and the Holy Spirit redeems us, and Christ enters. And I don't understand the mystery of all that, but in that moment, this is what the Scriptures say, the heavens have a party. That's remarkable. They are glad. I don't know how we can restrict heaven's rejoicing because ultimately we can't save anyone, but when someone is saved. But I wonder, church, are there people that we, we would, which would just not come near Jesus because they're, they're too messed up? Do we, 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 do we get in the way of people coming to know Christ as Savior? Oh, I'm burdened with that question. Let the heavens rejoice. You could maybe read that like, um, let the sinners come. Let the gospel be preached. Unshackle these things and allow people to believe. I don't know. I know this. Let the heavens rejoice comes after the righteousness of God being worn in his absolute judgment and righteousness being proclaimed. And the second we talked about quite a bit already, but let the earth rejoice. The second thing, let it, by the way, notice the configuration, same as the Lord's Prayer. Rejoice in heaven and on earth. See, this is part of our, our, our birthright as children of God, that, that we begin to allow joy to happen here on earth. We, again, and it's not happiness. That's what I'm trying to say earlier. Happiness is like a more fickle version. Joy is a more permanent version. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is permanent. Joy is instilled in us. Joy is in spite of everything else. There's a bunch of verses we can get into with that, but there's this remembering the promises of God. Let the earth be glad again. Let the earth be glad again. Yes. Yes. Have you ever felt like it's never going to be right again in your life? Have you ever felt like it's never going to be good again? Did you ever feel that way? I was thinking, like, what, what, why would we restrict joy? Like, why would I restrict joy? And is there a time in my life where I've been joyful? And, you know, I don't know, but if you think in, to your life, I, this is why I was thinking about it's almost a default setting when you're born to be joyful. And I know you're mad too. You know, little kids are mad. You ever seen little kids? They get super mad about stuff. But they're also super joyful about stuff. They have a ridiculous optimism. They don't know there's limitations. They don't know they shouldn't act that way. You know what I'm saying, right? Don't act that way. Somebody tells you that because you don't know. How am I supposed to act? I'm not supposed to run in circles around. You ever been to your home with kids? I love it. I love kids in your homes. Because they don't know the rules. And all the parents are like, and listen, funerals are hard. I get it. But all the parents are grieving and they're lost and all this. And you got these kids. Just, <laughs> and you got some poor mom, usually, come on, dads, some poor mom going, you better stop it. You stop it. To the point that um, funeral homes have built little joy rooms for kids <laughs> with snacks and sodas and TV. You can go in and be all joyful if you want. We're not being joyful out here as death. I'm serious. No. Rejoice. Always be glad again. Don't, don't forget. Don't get lost in your grief. 
Don't act like it's never going to be good again. This is why I think joy is allowing it to happen, letting it come back to the way it used to be, remembering again the joy of life, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the one who made you. See, that's, that's some thinking we get messed up. It'll never be good again. All the good stuff is behind us. What's wrong with us? It's not true. The best stuff is yet to come. Let the earth be glad again. Why? Why? And by the way, I'm going to lump in on the earth the, the sea for now, the fields, the trees, but I want to get to 13. Why? They will sing before the Lord because he comes. That's why. Because we serve a God that doesn't forget. Because he is coming. This is why we rejoice. This is why we remember. He is coming to judge the world in righteousness and the people in his truth. See, Jesus is coming. And this was true for the psalmist, right? We're going to come into Christmas season. This is true for the psalmist. Messiah is coming. God is coming. Yahweh is coming, is the hope. And we know that Christ has come. That's what Christmas is about. Christ has come. And yet we know this. Christ is coming again. We will be glad again. We'll be joyful again. And indeed, in this life, we can be joyful again because he is coming. This is why, and, and, and we should remind, you should remind me of this, and I'll remind you, but we ought never act as those with no hope because Christ is coming. I know for many of us, we have that, that thought, well, yeah, back then at that point in my life, God was there. I had that thing that I said that prayer, or, or, and I know God was, but now, man, that's a mess right now. No, listen, God is coming again. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't forsaken us. He is coming. Not only that, I love this, he's coming to judge the earth. Now, you might think that's a bad thing, but it's not a bad thing that God would come and judge the earth. It means he's coming to set things right. You and I spend so much of our lives saying, that's not right. That's not right. Do you feel that way? That's, that's just not right. A whole bunch of stuff that ain't right. Guess what? God is coming back, and it will be right. All the things that are not right will be judged rightly. Now, here's the problem with this. We can't judge rightly. We don't judge rightly, but God does. And so we all rejoice, we all enjoy, we all rejoice because uh, God is coming to judge the earth. We don't have to make it all right. God will. We can just enjoy him, enjoy his coming judgment. And then the third thing, it says it kind of here, he is coming, he is coming to judge the earth, he's coming to judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. So that's coming. So he's going to come and judge us with his truth. I am God. I'm making all things new. Behold, look, watch, and rejoice. We rejoice because God is coming. Now, we are part, and this is why I said the psalmist kind of cements us in our place in creation, and so we rejoice then what? With the sea. With the sea. I, I, I don't know if you've, all, if you've had a chance to travel to a, a sea before. Um, Carlisle's probably not a sea. It's a little... A little sea, right? Um, uh, Silver Lakes, even a little, okay? Uh, but if you get, one of the things I used to love to do whenever I went, I wasn't, ever went to the ocean my whole life until I was an adult. And I went to the ocean, and I loved to walk at the o on the ocean at three in the morning. I'm a night owl. That's how I'm made. I don't know what the deal is. But I walk out there, and on one side, you have lights, and da 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 and, you know, a few people still hanging out because, you know, bad things happen at three in the morning. Um, and on this side, you have whoosh, whoosh, 
and you can kind of see the white caps, whoosh, but you look out and it's just black. It's just, I would say ominous. It's overwhelming. I usually go to the East Coast and I always think, if I swam far enough that way, I'd find land. But you know I wouldn't make it. It's huge. It says, the, the seas thunder. You know, like, it's, it's a massive thing. The seas roar. The crashing of the waves, we love that, right? We have that little wave machine next to our bed, and they help us sleep at night, right? But, that, but those things are powerful. We witness it. The raging of the sea to rejoice in God. Here's something closer to home. The fields are jubilant. The fields exult. We, we see this. One of the favorite things about living in the Midwest is we get to see harvest happen. And you're driving out in the fields, and the harvest is happening. And then I was just recently doing this, and then the, 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 the dust was blown across the road, and the sun was setting, and it was just it was glorious, exalting God. The fields are producing fruit. I mentioned this earlier. The forests ring out with joy. These are, I think of our hunters right out there in the sticks, right? Just like, you know, and seeing all the animals that are sustained and everything is happening, but the forest, the trees themselves are ringing out with joy. But here's, here's the thing, right? And this is, I love this so much in the psalm. It's in there every time if, if you catch it. Let the sea resound. Let the fields be jubilant. Let the trees of the forest sing. But it's this, and the fullness therein. Like, like the fullness. So it's not just the crashing of the waves and the, you know, the waves itself, but everything in the ocean, everything that is in the fields, everything that is in the forest. Let all these things rejoice and crash and sing and praise. Let the sea and its fullness rejoice. Let the field and all that's in it exult. Let the trees of the forest. Now that's interesting because like the forest is full of trees, but like it's full of trees. It's like not just the but the forest and the trees, every individual and all of it together, sing. Um, I, thought, I couldn't help but close with this. A few years ago, I went to a concert, and uh, they were talking about, not this psalm, but another psalm. They were talking about creation singing. How many of you have seen the Lou Giglio thing of creation singing? Okay, a couple of us. We got to go to a concert, and we got to see it live. I'm just take a few minutes. I just want to show you... Um, because I can't do justice, right? But I want to show this to you. So we were in St. Louis at a concert, and he did that same thing. And, uh, I was, and forever, it's been cemented in my mind. Not Lou Giglio. He's a great preacher, by the way. <laughs> and not, um, but that, 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 what a great illustration that, that we are just joining with all creation to sing. You know? I think, oh, we're making joyful noise, right? But we're just joining with everything else is already singing out. And, uh, and so... That's what I want to. I just want to share with you because only a handful of you've seen it. Now I would say this: if you haven't seen the whole thing, watch the whole thing. It's awesome. It's awesome. And he has a couple other things he's done with um, uh, um, stars, uh, indescribable. I think it's called. It's a great thing as well. So check those things out. But just to remember that this the fullness therein that we are participating with the fullness therein of of God. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to invite you to sing with us. And so um, as you feel compelled to sing with us in all creation, you can do so. Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, your goodness to us, of your grace that you've poured out on us um, in your Son and our Savior Jesus Christ, in the knowledge of the gospel and the truth of the word, in the history of our faith that we get, and in all creation. You know, Father, we can, 
relegate this to like a, well, that's a psalmist, or that's this, or that's that. But, you know, in the New Testament, we're commanded the same thing. Like, we have enough evidence for who you are, Father, to to acknowledge you. We have enough knowledge to be able to say um, that you are God and we are not. You've given us enough revelation to know that Jesus Christ is the only path of salvation, that there's no other way to worship you and to please you and to be known by you except for Christ himself. And so today I I pray a prayer of thanks for the gift you've given to us. I pray for those of us who are here and who are just on that journey with you that you continue to draw us nearer to yourself. For those who maybe don't know you yet as Savior, that they would come to know you, that you would condescend, that you would work in our hearts that we could be fully redeemed, that we would, you know, what's the word say, like to be touched by you, to know you intimately. And then, Father, that we could join with the children and the whales and the trees and everything in singing praise to the God who made us. Father, this life can be hard, but you are coming. This life can seem unfair, but you are just. This life can feel overwhelming, but you are good. And so today, we just praise you and pray and trust, and we pray it in Jesus' name.